Good morning. morning. Wasn't that a wonderful song? Just last Sunday, I was in Istanbul, in Turkey, uh, visiting with some missionaries there. And that was uh, just a delightful time uh, to be with some of God's special choice people. And uh, it's, it's a dark city in many ways. Because the truth of the gospel has not yet penetrated uh, uh, in a more pervasive manner. As a matter of fact, it's not uh, penetrated hardly at all. So we need to pray for these dear people. It's a very, very tough, tough work. So pray for Tom Aiken and his wife and son, Aaron. His wife's name is Elizabeth. Pray for them. Would you turn in your Bibles this morning to John's Gospel, chapter 21? And beginning to read at uh, verse 12, John chapter 21, beginning to read at verse 12, Jesus said to them, that is, seven of his disciples, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and the fish likewise. Now, this is the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. Let's pray. Father, we think of this passage this morning, and uh, it's very challenging to have Jesus say to us, do you love me? And Father, we would like to respond to that genuinely with sincerity and integrity. Yes, Lord, we love you. And so, Father, this morning we pray that you would bless the message. Help us to uh, respond indeed genuinely to this particular passage. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In Catherine Potter's book entitled A Ship of Fools, one of the characters, a wealthy, self-sufficient divorcee, expresses herself in a very unusual and a very moving manner. And this is what she says in one line. She says, Love me. Love me in spite of all. Whether or not I love you, whether I am fit to love, whether you are able to love, or even if there is such a thing as love, love me. Love me. And that's the cry of the human heart today, is to be loved. 
This morning I'd like to speak on the subject, the genuineness of love, or the, or the challenge of love, or the power of love to change a person. This last chapter of John from which we read is an unusual chapter. The gospel seems to close in chapter 20 with verses 30 and 31 before we encounter this chapter. And this chapter has been questioned by many New Testament scholars. Some have wanted to change its position in the text. Others have called it an uninspired portion of the Word of God. Others feel it should be thrown out. And all of these objections have their own difficulties because there is simply no adequate textual evidence to justify any of their complaints. Now, John is not the only New Testament author who thought he had concluded the book and then finding another theme come to mind. The Apostle Paul is about to draw his uh, Philippian letter to a close in chapter 3, verse 1, when he writes, Finally, my brethren. But it is not finally. Suddenly he thinks of evil workers at large in Macedonia, and he writes two more chapters. Romans chapter 15, verse 33, closes that great letter with the words, The God of peace be with you all. Amen. And then the apostle proceeds to devote 27 more verses to the people he knows in Rome. And this is very much like the John that we know in the Gospel. The one who has noticed the small details to be compelled in his mind to write just one more chapter. And I want you to notice the final verse in chapter 21. And John apparently had a, uh, a little humor in mind when he writes this verse. He says, But there are also many other things and I want to insert, besides chapter 21, there are many other things besides chapter 21 which Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the number of books that would be written. So he wants to write this one more thing, and he recognizes that there are a host of other incidents that he could have included in the text. And I personally am so glad for this chapter 21 that he did include and that we can read and study and think about today. Uh, the passage presents, I believe, one of the greatest challenges to love in the entire Word of God. And I'd like to ask you this morning to personalize this passage. When you read Jesus saying three times a certain question, I'd like for you to put your name in it. When you read in verse 15, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Read it with your name in it. As Hugo, do you truly love me more than these? When you personalize it this way, the challenge to love becomes a transforming power in our lives. When Jesus asks, do you love me? all other questions in life become irrelevant. Questions of health, irrelevant. Questions of environment, of safety, of shelter. And for those of you who have taken some psychology, all of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, 
these all melt away as meaningless dribble. In the face of this one question, do you love me? John comes down to the, the most basic issue of all of life. Do you love me? And that's why this chapter is so important. Because it brings us face to face with the greatest question of life. And my purpose in speaking on this subject is to bring to our attention what can happen in a person's life when they respond to the greatest commandment of all, to love God and to love neighbor. And our passage deals with at least two great challenges to love. First, we have the challenge to genuineness. Is our love, is my love for God truly genuine? And secondly, we have the challenge of serving the Lord as a direct consequence of genuine love. And I'd like to look at these two challenges from this very challenging passage in chapter 21. Allow me, first of all, to put this chapter in some kind of context. This incident occurs somewhere in the 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension. It's in these 40 days that Jesus says in Acts chapter 1 that he showed himself alive by many convincing, convincing proofs. He showed himself alive. He wanted people to be absolutely sure that he was alive. Because that makes a great difference if we believe in the resurrection of Jesus. So G Peter says to his six friends, I'm going fishing. Now, some interpreters of the text find it difficult to imagine that the disciples, after two great encounters with the risen Lord Jesus Christ in Judea, and having heard his command to go into the world, would then waste their time going fishing. If you had seen Jesus alive at least twice before, would you waste your time going fishing? Hmm. May I suggest this about Peter? Peter had experienced the victory of Christ and he's glad for that great event. But he had fallen hard, very, very hard in his denial of Jesus. It takes time for a person to resolve, to resolve the feelings of depression that result from a moral defeat that occurred at his, his denial. What can Peter do? In his own eye, I believe Peter feels that he is a discredited and shamed person. And though he may rejoice in the victory of Jesus, it undoubtedly takes more time for Christ's victory to become Peter's victory. And we need to have that in our lives. We need to have the victory of Christ become our victory. Because our life depends on it. Peter, too, needed time to think what he should do what seemed to be a number of loose ends in his life. So he returns 
for a little while to what he knows best and what he feels good about. He may not be the greatest man of faith, but he surely is a fisherman. Another beautiful element in the story, which I don't have time to develop, is that Peter's six friends stay with him. They stay with a struggling Peter through his lonely battle. You know, I'm, I'm going to resist the urge to digress here. But here you have six men who stand with Peter during the time of his depression. And I call it depression before. I believe that's exactly what it was. Well, let's pick up the story at the first challenge. The challenge to genuineness. And notice verse 15. First of all, notice that Peter only is questioned among the seven disciples that went fishing that day on the Sea of Galilee. This story is going to center on Peter. The issue of genuineness in this text revolves around a man who first professes to give his all to the Lord and then later denies him. And I suspect that we can learn from this. As many of you will remember, just a few weeks before, something had happened in the city of Jerusalem in the courtyard of the high priest. Jesus had been taken prisoner and had been brought to the house of the high priest where he was to undergo a trial of mockery and a short time later to be brought to the place of the skull and there be crucified. While Jesus was being questioned, Peter was warming himself at a fire and while there he denied Jesus three times. There seems to be little doubt that for every one of Peter's denials, Jesus questions Peter with regard to the genuineness of his love. And so, Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? And three times, Peter is to respond, yes, Lord, I am fond of you. I want you to look again at verse 15. And for sake of time, I'll only look at this first question of the Lord Jesus. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Notice that three times Jesus presents Peter with a present tense question. It's in the present tense. And he gives him a present tense commission. Jesus is dealing here with, dealing with the here and now. Not about the past. Jesus has already resolved Peter's past. But Peter, it seems, needs a threefold confrontation to make it clear to him that his past is forgiven. And Jesus wonderfully, compassionately brings Peter firmly to the present. Do you love me right now? And may I ask you the same question? Do you, right now, as you sit in your seat, do you love the Lord Jesus? Looking further at the question, 
Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? What is the implication of that little word, these? I'm not really sure what the these refer to, but in the context, allows for at least three possibilities. Maybe more. Like, first, Simon, do you love me more than these other men do? Peter had bragged. Don't you love braggarts? Peter had bragged, even if all men fall on account of you, I never will. Peter, if your love is really going to be genuine, there's no room for bragging. There's no room for arrogance. There's no room for pride. Genuine love does not allow for that. Once you say in your heart that you are a better Christian than other Christians at San Ramon Valley Bible Church, the genuineness of your love would be in question. Genuine love is free from pride. It's free of putting oneself above another. Peter, do you love me more than these other men, these your fellow fishermen? All of these men were Peter's friends, and I'm sure that he had great affection for all of them. But Peter's, but if Peter's love for God is to have the seal of genuineness, love for Jesus is primary. And we need to ask ourselves, where does my supreme affection lie? What is primary in our lives? Where are our priorities? Where is Jesus in the list when we think of priorities? Let's move on. A second possibility of understanding what these refers to may refer to, do you love me more than your boat? The equipment in the boat? The tools of your trade? The nets? And all that other stuff. And if we take this question this way, then perhaps we may see a man taken up with his uh, gadgets, his distractions, his toys, his amusements. And it's easy to be distracted this way. We don't mean for things to crowd out the Lord Jesus. It kind of just happens. And genuine love for the Lord Jesus and things don't really go together. And the third possibility of this little word, these, do you love me more than these, may simply be the fish and fishing. Don't you love fishing when you catch your limit? (laughs) It's great. Or when you catch the fish, the big one and it didn't get away. Uh, we have a fellow at uh, Sun Valley Bible Chapel who went to Alaska and he caught two 50-pound salmons and another third, I think it was a halibut, it was in the 50-pound range also. And he was so delighted about going fishing and having... Uh, the joy of uh, 
these three big fish. And you know, the bumper sticker says that all a bad day fishing is better than a good day working. And uh, <laughs> there may be some truth to that. But it is interesting to note in the story that Peter and his friends, at the Lord's direction, catch 153 big fish, the text says. Large fish. 153 big fish. Now, I know interpreters have tried to find some symbolic meaning in the number 153. One I heard had to do with the number of countries in the world, uh, meaning some from all the nations would be caught up in the gospel net and would be represented in the throne before God. That's a very appealing idea. Well, these men were fishermen. And when the fish are big, you count them, especially if you're poor. 153. Now, regardless of which possibility you like best, all three have one common strand. Love to be genuine, love for God, does not have a divided interest. There is no these when it comes to loving Jesus. As I thought of this further, I, I wondered if there was not also a power issue in all of this. Peter, are you more interested in your own pursuits, your own things, your own issues that, than you are in a personal relationship with Jesus? And the power issue being me or Jesus? Me first or Jesus? Me or him? If Peter is to genuinely love the Lord Jesus, his personal self-exalting ideas must be given up. And this means he will not cling to his rights. He will not cling to his things. Rather, he will submerge them to something greater. That is the love relationship. And the challenge to love is to love the Lord wholeheartedly without the these. Scratch out that these. Why does Jesus question Peter with regard to whether or not his love is genuine? I think he does so for a couple of reasons. First of all, the Lord doesn't challenge Peter because he wants him to feel badly and to see what a selfish and clutching, conniving person he is in order to give him the needle. He doesn't question him to do that. Sometimes I know in human relationships we do exactly that. I think the Lord's purpose is to restore Peter to a personal relationship with himself. Peter had failed. Yes, he had. He had failed terribly, miserably. And now the Lord wants Peter to be restored to get back on track. And the best way to get back on track is to examine the core of what a relationship is all about. And the core, folks, is genuine love. Secondly, and this is my second challenge to love, love is indispensable to genuine service. 
We only serve God superficially if we don't love God with genuine love. We only serve God well in the Sunday school in our witnessing if we have a genuine love for God. We don't do too well in our families if we don't love God genuinely. We don't worship well in our churches if we don't love God genuinely. We may even have trouble with our fellow Christians if we don't love genuinely. I want you to notice verse 15 again, closely. In this verse, we notice Jesus using the name Simon, son of John. Peter, as you all know, I I believe you all know this, wasn't Peter when he first met Jesus. The Apostle John tells us the story in John's Gospel, chapter 1. Peter wasn't Cephas, the rock, when he met Jesus, when he first met Jesus. He was Simon, weak, vacillating, impulsive. And why did Jesus change his name? What is this all about? I think that Jesus had a vision of what Simon could become. Just as he has a vision of what I can become and what you can become when we give our lives to him. He saw in Simon a wonderful potential, so he gave him a name that reflected that potential. Peter, or the rock. And from that day forward, Peter carried a constant reminder what Jesus saw in him what he could be, what he should be, and in Peter's case, what he one day would in fact become. It was more than a name change. It was a vision. And change did not occur all at once in Peter's life. Yes, he was given the name Peter. But sometimes it seems that there's a little of each In Peter's life. There's a little bit of Simon and there's a little bit of Peter. And so 17 times in the gospel record, we have the compound name Simon Peter. They're put together. Because there's a little bit of Simon and there's a little bit of Peter all mixed together in this one person. And I think that's the way it is with us. There's a little bit of Simon in me. Maybe a lot of Simon. I trust not. There may be a little bit of Simon in all of you here. Peter, in the courtyard of the high priest, it seems, had reverted in great measure to Simon, his pre-conversion name. And in this chapter, we see Jesus taking Simon... And that's what he calls him, Simon, son of John, or Simon Bar-Jonah. Simon, son of John. And he wants to transform him to the servant, Peter. Yes, he would fall again. 
And he had to receive correction, as we know, from the Apostle Paul because he was uh, uh, really off on some issues that Paul had to straighten him out. Yet he was the one to preach fearlessly on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 saved. What a fisherman. 3,000. And he was the one who fearlessly told the Sanhedrin, the, the ruling council of the Jews and the Sadducees, following the healing of the man at the gate called Beautiful, he said to them, he said, there is salvation and no other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. And 4,000 or 5,000 were saved. What a fisherman. And here and elsewhere we see Peter the Rock. Well, returning to our chapter. Following each of Jesus' three questions to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Jesus says alternatively, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. Jesus tells Peter, in essence, lambs and sheep are my great interest. I'm concerned about their welfare. They need to be led, nourished, guarded, loved. And lamb and sheep, of course, refer to people. And we notice here the heart of the Lord Jesus. We notice His interest in men and women, young people. His interest in people. He is interested in people. For God so loved the world. And the word world there does not mean the cosmos. It means a world of human beings. He loved the world of people. God loves people. God loves you and He loves me. In John 3.16, which I began to quote, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have ever but have eternal life. Let me digress for a moment. On, this, on a recent trip that Kathy and I took, we visited uh, some of my cousins in Italy. These are the same cousins who had said previously, don't ever mention the name Jesus to us again. So we got together, five cousins. And uh, they referred to, referred to me several times as an evangelical. So I said to them, you know what an evangelist does? An evangelist brings good news. And you know what the good news is? The good news is that uh, all of us are dying and all of us have sinned. And the good news is that Jesus came and died to take away that sin. Isn't that good news? And they agreed. <laughs> Praise God. They agreed. And then my dear Kathleen said to me, ask them if they would like to do a Bible study. And so I did. And they said, yes. So we're, we're looking for some Bible study material in Italian that these people can do. And uh, 
were meeting Wednesday night with a man from the Bible Institute of Rome uh, who's a believer among the brethren and uh, who I think might be able to help us. So I'm looking forward to meeting this man on Wednesday. And uh, perhaps, feed my lambs. People are God's great interest. What kind of people does God love? Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Listen to this. God demonstrates. He just doesn't talk about it. God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Who does He love? Sinners. Is there a sinner here this morning? Please know that God loves you. Please know. Please know that uh, He wants you to come to Him and experience a relationship of love. My two challenges boil down to one major point. God loves people so much that the only people who genuinely love the Lord can serve Him and feed His sheep. We are called to love God supremely above anything else. And when we do this, we become fitted and enabled to serve others. Uh, I'm a reader. And I have been forcefully struck by the maxims of Brother Lawrence. Have you heard of Brother Lawrence? I've been struck by his maxims. And in closing, I would like to read to you what he said when he was at the point of dying. Uh, The book starts like this. Someone had asked him if he were at peace and what his mind was thinking about while he was dying. And this is his reply. I am doing what I shall do through all eternity. Blessing God, praising God, adoring God, giving Him the love of my whole heart. It is our one business, my brethren, to worship And love him without thought of anything else. That's Brother Lawrence as he was dying. I think that is what Jesus asks of each of us. Believer, do you love me? And remember, lambs and sheep are a priority with me. They are a priority. I trust that as we have uh, discussed this challenge of love, challenge to genuineness of our love for God, that that the Holy Spirit will impress that on us. And uh, He also is the one who will give us the enablement to love Him as we ought. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we're grateful for a God who is love. We're grateful for a God who uh, has extended His arms wide to receive us. Not just to receive us, but to welcome us warmly and intimately. And so, Father, we're so very grateful. 
bless this congregation of your people. And if there is someone here who has not yet come into that relationship of love with him, Father, we pray that today might be the day. So we just commit that to you and we pray, Father, that you would give anyone like that the courage to, uh, to let that be known. Dismiss us with your blessing. Bring us to our homes in safety. And uh, we look forward to more times of fellowship around your word. We pray these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen.